Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast series and this, our first Great Sea Fights episode of 2022. If you've only just come to this series, please do take the time to look back through the archives and check out the wonderful things we've been making for you over the past few months. Not only are there numerous audio episodes dedicated to a variety of naval battles across centuries of warfare, in which we interview experts for their analysis as well as present primary sources for your historical entertainment and education, we have also created a number of brilliant videos that you can check out on the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube page. Now, these include a fantastic animation of an eyewitness's battle plan of the Battle of Tsushima in 1905, when the Japanese annihilated the Russian battle fleet. A video presenting the fabulous series of tapestries depicting the Spanish Armada of 1588, which are held at the National Museum of the Royal Navy in Portsmouth. And a 3D animation of the Shokaku a Japanese aircraft carrier that was part of the force that launched the air attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. Now, one period in history we have yet to cover is the ancient world, and this year we will definitely be putting that right, starting today with the Battle of the Egedi Islands, fought on this day, the 10th of March, in 241 BC. That's 2,263 years ago. A battle fought just off the coast of Sicily between Rome and Carthage. A battle which marked a turning point in the histories of both of those empires and ended the First Punic War. But more importantly, and the reason we are all here today, is that it is the only, yes, the only, archaeological site of a naval battle from antiquity that has ever been discovered. And this isn't just a crow about the fact that we've found the site of a naval battle but that the quality of the artefacts recovered are simply astonishing. They not only represent the only ancient naval battle, but also the earliest Roman Republican and Carthaginian assemblage of military equipment. 
So to tell us more, here is the brilliant Peter Campbell, an archaeologist who says he is committed to seeking answers about our past, present and future. He's a lecturer in cultural heritage under threat at Cranfield University and has been heavily involved in the project of the Egedy Islands for some time. But just before we hear from Peter, I'd like to thank Mad Mark G for the five-star review he gave us on iTunes. Mark says that the Mariner's Mirror podcast offers a wide range of maritime projects, some familiar, some I have met for the first time, from far away in time and place to present, and local efforts you might not be aware are around the corner from where you live. Excellent quality, serious yet very accessible for amateur and professional historians alike. Mark, thank you very, very much indeed for getting in touch and also Steve the Geezer hello Steve who said this is a fantastic podcast for anyone with an interest in maritime history a really enjoyable listen I'd recommend for anyone with any level of interest in maritime history there really is something for everyone again another five star review there Steve thank you very much indeed now reviews like this on iTunes are hugely important because the more we get the more likely it is that people will come across our podcast which will help us achieve our aim of teaching the world about the importance of maritime history so if you are listening on a smartphone please scroll down leave us hopefully a five star rating write a review and I promise we'll read it out enough badgering here is the brilliant Peter Campbell I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him about the ancient world and its maritime violence. Peter, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure. So um, this wonderful battle, I have to say that I've only recently come across this. Um, I'm, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. How did you get involved in the project? Well, the Egedy project started in, in, well, 2001. The Carabinieri uh, led a raid against uh, a fisherman, and uh, they had gotten information the fisherman had captured some illicit antiquities from the seafloor. And um, they raided his house and found one of these large bronze rams. Uh, wow. <laughs> that's, it's one of the rarest artifacts from antiquity. And uh, that prompted uh, the the Italian government to start uh, an underwater search, and so they contacted an American nonprofit, RPM Nautical Foundation, and uh, and then I joined uh, in 2010 uh, while I was a PhD student at the University of Southampton. Mm. And what were you? Um, what was your PhD on? Was it was it on ancient battles? It was, yeah. So it looked at a kind of technological change uh, and then focused on ancient uh, navies. Hmm. That's difficult to, to, to do, isn't it? I mean, you, you say that you've got these rare finds of the bronze rams in antiquity, but uh, am I right in thinking that they ha we haven't actually found an ancient warship, only bits of one, like a ram? That's right, that's right. So um, in, in 1980, they found the athlete ram off of Israel, and uh, there was a, mm. a ram that was found probably off of Egypt by um, illicit actors who, who sold it on through black market channels uh, to the Bremenhaven Museum. Uh, but otherwise, there are no other bronze ramps. Oh, and, and one found um, off, off of Greece by some divers. But otherwise, we've never found a full warship. We've never found a naval battle until the, the Battle of the Egedy Islands. Yeah, well, very exciting indeed. And you said it was it was initially found in 2001. That's a very long time ago. <laughs> it's a very, very long project. 
It is, yes. Yeah, well, it, it took a while to get the underwater survey started. So the underwater survey started in 2005. Um, and then there's just a lot of years of just staring at the seafloor and not finding anything at all. Uh, it, it's incredibly mm. difficult to locate a naval battle. It, it's not at all what you would expect. Um, they're, they're spread <laughs> over huge areas of seafloor. Uh, and, you know, traditional ancient shipwrecks have large piles of amphoras and cargo and that sort of thing, and so they're relatively easy to spot. But you have to imagine that these warships were smashing into each other on the surface and then breaking apart on the surface and, tr and percolating through the water column. And, you know, so th these artifacts are, are descending 100 meters to the water column, spreading out. So it's incredibly dispersed. If you stood at any single location on the battle site, you probably wouldn't know you were in the middle of a battle. Yeah. Amazing, actually. Just think about the number of ships involved. I tell you what, let's rewind a little bit about why don't you tell our listeners what happened in the battle? Let's get a bit of background. So on March 10th, 241 BC, uh, the Roman and Carthaginian fleets met off of the Aegidi Islands, which are a small archipelago off of western Sicily. And it was a decisive battle in favor of the Romans, which led to the end of the First Punic War. Uh, now, the First Punic War had been running for uh, nearly three decades and uh, was fought between Carthage, which was this ancient established power, which, which largely controlled the Western Mediterranean, uh, and Rome, which was this relatively new upstart, which controlled the Italian peninsula, but not much more. Uh, and this was Rome's kind of first step on the eventual road to empire. Now, there would be two more Punic Wars, but this was Rome's kind of entry onto the, the global stage, so to speak. Uh, this was when they captured Sicily, which was their first kind of overseas colony. And uh, this is where they kind of exerted their famous military uh, beyond the Italian peninsula. Yeah. So they kind of stopped being a local power. That's right. That's right. And, and it was quite unexpected um, to, to have them kind of take the stage because this is the Hellenistic period. So 3rd century BC, this is when you have a bunch of the great successor states to Alexander. Uh, you have Carthage, um, you have the Phoenicians. Uh, so you have a, a bunch of different groups that are, are waging these, these battles and have been doing so for, for centuries. And all of a sudden Rome, this, this kind of small Italian city-state, uh, arrives on the scene. Mm. And so what happened? How did they get to meet so they had been fighting for many, many years, and Rome had been crushed in the Battle of Japonum, which was eight years previous. And um, the Roman public uh, was incredibly upset about this defeat and decided they were going to make one last effort to try and win this war. And so they built a fleet of probably around 200 warships and uh, sent them out to Sicily to start coastal raiding. And when Carthage heard about this, they kind of were surprised by it. They thought the war had largely ended, uh, and they sent their fleet. They scrambled to get their fleet ready. And on uh, March 9th, 241 BC, they sent their fleet across from North Africa to Moretimo, which is the, the small, uh, small island all the way to the west of, of Sicily. And uh, the Roman fleet had been waiting, and, and they're very clever strategists because they had closed off all the possible ports uh, in Sicily, except for one, one landing point. So they knew exactly where the Carthaginians were going to go. Uh, the Carthaginians were trying to reach Hamilcar Barca, who was the general uh, leading their forces, who was based on Mount Eriche um, 
uh, on the mainland of, of Sicily. Hamilcar is, uh, was a famous general in, in his own right, but he was the father of Hannibal Barca, uh, who would be the main Carthaginian general in the Second Punic War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the Romans laid the perfect trap. Uh, they knew that crossing from North Africa, the Carthaginians would have to stop at Maretimo, and they knew that from Maretimo there was only one port they could go to on mainland Sicily. And so the Romans hid their fleet behind the very tall island of Levanzo, and as soon as the Carthaginians had passed the point of, of no return, making the crossing from Maretimo to mainland Sicily, the Carthaginians cut off their, or the, sorry, the Romans cut off their path. Uh, formed a battle line, and then um, the two sides had to engage, and, and it ended up being a, a crushing defeat for the Carthaginians. Mm. We, it sounds like we know a lot about this battle, which is surprising. Do we know about it from uh, contemporary accounts, or are these kind of classic um, classical sources that were written uh, half a century later? So there's a number of sources, um, the best one being Polybius. And so he was writing approximately 100 years later. However, he was drawing on at least two sources of, of individuals who were there. Uh, those sources are lost to us, but, but he, he seems to be you know, relatively accurate uh, in his account. Uh, so we do know quite a lot, and this, is, this has been kind of a, a, a pivotal battle known for many years and, and discussed. Um, but now that we have an actual naval battle and we can kind of compare the results between the, 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 the actual material culture from the battle and the historical sources, um, it's really, really interesting what we're seeing, that it doesn't all add up. And, and you know, if you look at witness statements from battles or, or kind of um, traumatic events today, they don't always match up with actual events. And that might be what we're seeing here is that, uh, or, or it's, propaganda by the Romans. Um, certainly, this was a, a much closer battle than what we expected from the historical sources, uh, where very few Roman losses are described, but we're finding a lot of Roman battleships based on inscriptions on these bronze rams on the seafloor. Yeah. That was going to be one of my questions about the the the, um, the difference between the Carthaginian ships and the Roman ships. Were they um, were they so similar that they're difficult to identify um, it, from their remains, or were they were they uh, significantly different? One of the difficult things about archaeology is that nothing is ever easy, <laughs> and and so one of the big challenges <laughs> of this site is the material culture, where the Carthaginians and the Romans were so intertwined, both being Central Mediterranean cultures. Um, so through trade, they were so intertwined that it's really hard to distinguish between what's Roman and what's Carthaginian. Now, the rams are, you would think, quite obvious because the Carthaginian rams have Carthaginian inscriptions and the Roman rams have Roman inscriptions. But in the Battle of Japonum, um, eight years previous to the Battle of the Egede Islands, the Carthaginians captured a large number of Roman warships. And it seems like they maybe brought those back to Carthage uh, and then reuse them as Carthaginian warships, but but those Roman inscriptions are still on them. So it's really hard to know from the rams, you know, were these Roman ships manned by Carthaginian sailors? Um, likewise, the the helmets are Montefortino helmets for the most part, which are a traditional Roman helmet. Uh, but there's evidence that the Carthaginians were the first to use these during the, the First Punic War. Similarly, the swords. The swords look like a traditional um, Spanish uh, gladius. However, 
Again, these were first used by the Carthaginians in Spain before the Romans adopted them and, and became quite popular during the Second Punic War. So everything is so mixed up, e even the amphoras. Uh, the primary uh, type of amphoras that we are finding on site are Greco-Italic amphoras, which for many years were assumed to be Roman uh, and, and manufactured on the Italian peninsula. But kilns have been found um, on uh, ter uh, Carthaginian territory that show they were producing Greco-Italic amphoras, and some of them have Carthaginian um, uh, graffiti carved on them. So the material culture is so mixed up. You can see that these cultures, while fighting, were just uh, incredibly intertwined and borrowing things from each other and, and sharing material culture, and they were trading. And, and so these were, uh, in, in many ways, a clash between um, two close, close civilizations. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, well, probably the reason for the clash as well, but also right. some mutual respect, no doubt. Um, I I mean, I know a bit about Roman sea power, but Carthaginian sea power is, is really a, a not anything I know much about at all. Um, where were their kind of main ports? Where were they getting the timber they needed to build their ships and the expertise? What do we know about the history of how they managed to create such a powerful navy? So Carthage uh, was a very old established power by this point, and uh, it had been founded by the Phoenicians. So the Phoenicians had uh, a number of large settlements uh, in the Levant, um, in modern-day uh, Israel and Syria, um, uh, and, and Lebanon, and um, so all along that coast. So, so big centers like uh, Byblos and Sidon and Tyre. And uh, they went to the Western Mediterranean to found Carthage, um, I believe, in the 8th century BC. Uh, and this became a large power in its own own right. Um, it controlled Western, the Western Mediterranean um, for centuries, establishing colonies um, in Corsica, in um, Sardinia, uh, in Spain, uh, all along the Western Mediterranean and set up large trade networks. Uh, so they were a, a traditional seafaring power. Um, they had large navies that, that kind of fought in, in very early battles. 
Um, and uh, so we don't know exactly where they were getting their timber from, but given their large network of colonies and, and trade, um, they were probably getting it from, from their, their warships represent, uh, and their merchant ships, uh, interconnectivity throughout the Mediterranean. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that they grew out of the Phoenicians. So the Phoenicians are very significant maritime power in their own right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the battle site. Um, so the, we've got the uh, the Italian police get a kind of a sniff that someone's found something important. They found a bronze ram. What happens next? How do they actually locate locate this uh, the, the site of the battle? Yeah, so this is is kind of one of the great stories I think in in maritime archaeology. Of it's very easy to point to a map and say, you know, uh, I found this ram you know, off, off of these islands, but actually going back and relocating something that's less than a meter on the seafloor is incredibly difficult. Um, so over many, many years, RPM Nautical Foundation, together with the Soprintendenza del Mare, um, uh, led by uh, Sebastiano Tusa, uh, one of the, the great uh, Sicilian archaeologists, mapped the, the bottom of the seafloor. And uh, it's 270 square kilometers. Uh, so if you want to think about that in, <laughs> in terms of, of size and, and scale, you know, that's 5.5 times the size of Manhattan. So massive, massive area. Um, one of the largest maritime archaeological surveys undertaken. Um, and, and so you can map the bottom, but modern uh, marine geophysics uh, don't necessarily give you the accuracy at that depth. So we're talking from 80 to 100 meters. Don't give you the accuracy to locate something the size of a ram or an amphora or anything else mm -hmm. uh, that you know that's less than a meter. Uh, so the multi-beam resolution, you know, is is half a meter, which is the size of the objects you're looking for. So you then have a map of the seafloor, and and you can kind of see where the mountains and valleys and all that sort of stuff are. But then you need to search within that. So it becomes a very tedious process of using robots, um, ROVs, remotely operated vehicles, to search the bottom, or more recently divers. Um, so divers from the Society for Documentation of Submerged Sites have been working with us uh, to send divers down and search the bottom. But as I mentioned, it's incredibly dispersed. So you might find an object one day and then just nothing else for the rest of the day. Um, you know, when I, if you look at a, a site plan that we've created, it looks like a big concentration of artifacts, but that's just due to the scale of the area that we're searching. Um, the nearest artifacts to each other are usually 30 meters or more apart. Um, so they're really, really dispersed. So you might find a ram and then you start searching the area and 30 meters away you find a helmet, another 30 meters you find an amphora, and then only through kind of digitally mapping the locations do you understand kind of what was happening as this ship broke apart. Yeah, amazing. What's happening with the artifacts? So the artifacts, um, ha they're, they're primarily based in the museum in Favignana, the local museum in Favignana, uh, which is a beautiful museum in an old tuna factory. And they have a special exhibit just for the, for the Agony battle uh, that's really well developed. Uh, but the artifacts have also been touring all around the world. Um, so in the UK, they've been in the British Museum. They've been in the Ashmolean Museum. Um, they've been uh, all over the world as far away as Western Australia. Um, so the Sicilians have done an incredible job of, of kind of sharing this information and wealth through, through traveling exhibitions. Yeah. 
That's really good to hear, isn't it? And we've talked so much about these rams. Let's just talk about how they were used. How, how was this, this battle actually fought? What were the tactics involved? So in naval warfare in this period, the primary method of attack was ramming. So these were large road warships um, that had bronze rams fitted on the front um, that would impact enemy vessels and, and smash into them. And uh, people might be familiar with the traditional Athenian navy, which uh, used complex maneuvers to kind of ram into the side of enemy vessels uh, during the Peloponnesian War and and then back off and watch them sink. But um, in this period, naval ramming was was much more abrupt, so to speak. Uh, They would just ram head to head straight into each other. Uh, And then after that initial kind of um, frontal assault, they would then try ramming from the side or, or, or from behind to try and sink the enemy vessels. Uh, and then they also use things like projectiles. Um, so pilum and uh, so spears uh, or um, little weighted lead uh, slinger bullets uh, and probably various types of machines for, for um, firing larger gauge weapons. So um, a ballista and that sort of thing. Uh, though we haven't found evidence of that yet, but but uh, certainly the historical descriptions describe all kinds of of large machines that were kind of flinging things at a range. It's quite frightening the concept of having a large machine which moves presumably and and throws heavy things on the deck of a warship because uh, 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 things with height and with weight aren't great on the decks of ships. It sounds very dangerous. No, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, but you get these descriptions, and, and they were using catapults of various types and various torsion weapons and things like that. Um, wow. I mean, I mean, we found some evidence of, of bronze fittings that might relate to some sort of weapon like that, but we're still working on interpreting those. How many... Well, first question is how, how to give some people a sense of just how big these ships were. Do we have a detailed idea? That is a very good question, and one of the examples of how, as you find more, you know less in archaeology, because we thought, <laughs> we thought we had a good sense of the size of triremes, which was kind of the traditional Athenian warship. Um, there's been a bunch of work looking into the available sources on triremes. Um, and then uh, these warships were thought to be, so if, if triremes had three banks of rowers, these were thought to be fives, so five banks of rowers or five rowers in a unit, depending on how how it's interpreted. Um, but the the rams that we're finding correspond to relatively small ships, uh, so more along the lines of of threes of triremes than what we would expect from from larger ones. So there's been some excellent work done on um, the. Actium Naval Monument from the the first century BC from the Battle of Actium uh, by William Murray, who's a co-director on the the Egedy Project, uh, looking at the size of warships there. And uh, these warships were massive. So these, the monument has the nose fittings uh, for large bronze rams that were captured during the battle. And um, Mm -hmm. that after, after Augustus won the battle, he took these, the fronts of these warships and stuck them on the monument. So we can we know the relative size of different types of ships because they're all different size ships used there. The Egedy battle, these rams don't fit anywhere on that monument. So these must have been, you know, quite small ships, uh, probably trireme sized. Um, 
and uh, what this sort of might... length are we talking? Uh, that's what we're still trying to figure out. This hmm. is this is one of the most difficult. Like as long things. as a tennis court or something. <laughs> <laughs> so probably around thirty-five meters, something like that. Okay. Um, it's really difficult though because all the wood has been eaten away. So we're only left with the inorganic artifacts. You know, anything that's metal or stone or ceramic on the seafloor. So we really just have the nose uh, because the the rams have kind of the reverse of the the bow of the ship. So we have to estimate the length of the ship based off this kind of very sparse remain. So it's hard to hard to judge the full length of the the ship based on just its nose. Yeah. And well, I mean, I suppose final question: Do we know how many men were involved in the battle? Have we got a sense of how many ships and how many men? What's the scale of it? Yeah. So Polybius uh, gives some estimates. Um, though we're we're learning that you know Polybius maybe we can't trust what he says as much as as we once thought. Um, but uh, his estimates look like there was around 400 men per ship. Um, we're still trying to figure out if that's that's accurate or not. But you know, he calls this the largest, uh, the the first Punic War, um, the largest naval uh, war that had occurred to date, uh, with the, the largest number of losses. And, and there were certainly a number of different battles uh, where significant amounts of vessels were lost. And uh, certainly, this battle looks like there were significant losses, uh, probably on both sides. So yeah, you're talking about very significant loss of life. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a fascinating story. Um, what's gonna what's the 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 future of this project? Are people just gonna carry on um, diving and seeing what they can find, or is it gonna come to an end soon? Well, you know, there's many generations of work that could be done on this site, and um, so we're now up to to 25 rams that we've located. We've mapped a, an enormous area of the battle site, and believe we've located kind of the center of the battle. Um, so now we're working on on kind of d- further delineating the site to the west, and uh, and then conducting kind of scientific analyses of all the artifacts and interpreting them, and and hopefully working on a, a large publication to kind of present this to the public and, and the academic community. Um, so yeah, we're we're kind of on a, a f- planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Five-year cycle of, of getting everything um, published to a very high standard, and then we'll see what happens next. I mean, certainly this could continue indefinitely in the future as as the only ancient naval battle that's been found so far. Brilliant. Well, it's hugely exciting, and thank you very much indeed for talking to me today, Peter. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Do please remember to find the Mariner's Mirror podcast on YouTube. There you can see the fabulous videos we have been creating. Especially make sure you look at the one where we use artificial animation to make ships' figureheads come alive. It's definitely my favourite. Please also leave us a review, as I asked before, on iTunes. It's really easy. Just scroll down, hit five stars, tell us what you think, and we will read it out. 
Please follow the Society for Nautical Research on social media and please, please join the Society for Nautical Research. It really doesn't cost very much and your annual subscription will help support this podcast. It will help publish the quarterly Mariner's Mirror Journal. It will help support the preservation of our maritime heritage and it will allow you to come to our annual dinner on board HMS Victory. There is simply no better way to spend your spare change and to feel good about yourself at the same time.